0: Welcome to the podcast. My name is Dr. Stuart Squires. I'm an Associate Director of the Center for Faith and Culture and Associate Professor of Theology at the University of St. Thomas in Houston. The Center for Faith and Culture, celebrating 25 years, brings the Catholic voice to the ongoing conversation about the meaning of life and the liberty and pursuit of happiness we hold in common as Americans. The Center seeks to understand and impact in a meaningful way the relationship between and among the many facets of the American way of life in relation to God's ongoing loving encounter with humanity. Today's guest is Angie Pometo. She is the Associate Director of the Office of Young Adult and Campus Ministry here in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. First of all, thank you very much for joining me.
1: Yes, thanks for having me.
0: Um, so we'll get to a conversation later about uh, sort of the challenges of um, young adults as you see them, and, and specifically in, in terms of Catholic identity and, and ministering to them. But before we get to that, why don't we talk a little bit about you? Uh, let's start with your sort of childhood, in particular, the, the sort of religious identity that was formed in, in your household when you were a, a child.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm the oldest of five kids. And uh, come from a very strong Catholic family. Some of those, uh, yeah, I like to call it the crazy Catholic family, (laughs) uh, where my dad would often say, let's go to church on Tuesday. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think as a third grader, um, I uh, I, I grew up in Iowa, and uh, we switched schools at one point. And so I remember being a third grader, and my dad would make me go early to school to go visit Jesus because the church was right across the street from the school. And I remember being just so mortified, like, Oh, my friends are going to see me and I'm just such a dork and my parents are crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that whole, um, yeah, that lovely, uh, Catholic tradition of, of just strong ca- Catholic families. So. so,
0: so that was adoration. Is that what he meant? No,
1: just even just, uh, just the tabernacle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We would just go and say hi to Jesus before, uh, I would walk across the street to say hi to my friends. Sure.
0: <laughs> Uh, you said in, in Iowa, what part of Iowa mm-hmm. was that?
1: It was central Iowa, okay. so about an hour north of Des Moines. Small little town called Boone. Okay. Um, so I'm literally from the boonies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> With a lot of Catholics or is it a minority religion there?
1: Um, uh, you know, religion was kind of just a, it, it wasn't like the South. Because like in the South, there's definitely the Bible Belt where people really mm-hmm. care. I think religion was just, in Iowa, it was just, just a thing, you know, it's just an extra, like almost an curricular for a lot of people. You mm-hmm. know, or it's just like... I am Catholic. That doesn't really mean much. I go right. to mass on Sunday, but you know, at least for for most of the other people in in Boone, Iowa. So, about yeah. what
0: age did you realize that um, your your family sort of takes its Catholic identity more seriously in a way than the friends around you or just the culture around you? How old were you when you figured that? Well, because
1: I think really third grade. Yeah, whenever third that grade. school okay. switch happened. Yeah, yeah, and all of a sudden, like like I just became aware of that. Uh, um, the tension, I guess, between like your desire for being liked and having friends, and that desire to also, you know, like I knew that God was mm-hmm. important. I knew that, you know, my parents had instilled that in me. But just like, how do you get those two to go together? Because so mm-hmm. many of your friends, they didn't care. They didn't go to the church for fun, you know, they didn't wake up early and help, you know, clean the church on Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, just all those <laughs> wow, little I guess things. Really we're busy. So, yeah. Did yeah. You do
0: <laughs> other things like, um, um, Rosary night on mm-hmm. Sunday night or young, uh, youth ministry, those types of things.
1: Yeah. Well we did do, um, our family did a, f- a daily rosary together, which, um, I don't know, especially with, cause I was the oldest, you know, so all the kids, you know, all my brothers and sisters were always younger than me. It was always a struggle, you know, every mm-hmm. night it would be, you know, rosary time. And then the fight would happen. You know? <laughs> cause like, no, like, you know, half of us didn't want to, half of us mm-hmm. were still squirmy, you know, half of us were crying. Um so but it really I think that de- that um dedication to mm-hmm. that regular rosary time each night I think it's aw- it absolutely blessed our family in mm-hmm. amazing ways cuz like I think I'm also very f- one of the few people that can say all of my siblings are still practicing wow. you know which is amazing That is amazing. Um and I really do think that it's been that devotion to the rosary mm-hmm. that's kept that you know mm-hmm. kept our family very strong in the faith as a whole. Um, and yeah, I did do youth group, um, but it was in the 90s. And it was, uh, you know, lots of uh, singing, sitting around the circle, singing mm, with the guitar. Right. Um, I remember a really bad, shaggy carpet. We used to tear the carpet up, but we were listening, oh. you know, just like really crazy. Yeah. Right. Um, but also some really good things, too. So,
0: about what age were you when you realized um, that how how influential? The daily rosary was on the life of your family. Because at the time, obviously, you're just like, yeah. oh, I'm bored I think, with this. Yeah, I don't that don't do took me anymore. till college, I yeah. think.
1: Yeah. And even like um, for me, my relationship with Mary um, was a little bit difficult because mm-hmm. of that, you know, just mm-hmm. because I had this long history of. Like it it was a struggle, you know, and like, yes, I, I, I was obedient to my parents and I was, I was, you know, they were always like, Angela, is that the good example? You know, <laughs> so I was trying to do that growing up, you know, but still like just the fact that we were forced to do it all those years, I was like, well, like, what does Mary mean to me really? And like, mm. but, and even into college, I was really struggling with it and, um, Really, two things happened that really started to soften my heart for for Mary. And one was I, I took the Mariology class at Franciscan okay. um, with Dr. Miravalle, so that was a huge piece of like just being able to understand the head knowledge of sure. like why Mary is so important. Right. Um, but also, I did a study abroad program um, in Austria through Franciscan, and ended up going to Lourdes and bathed in the in the Lord's water. And I think that act too really opened me up. And like with that, after that one, you know, I was ba- I, I went. Ba- did the ads at Lourdes and after that, there were, like, two or three other moments that semester where I encountered Mary, um, both at Rudebach, the, um where the Miraculous Medal apparitions happened in mm-hmm. Paris, and then also at Chartres Cathedral, where they have the veil of Mary, mm-hmm. where there were just some moments of just, like, I didn't even realize what was happening until after I was out of those chapels. But, like, I just realized that Mary was right there with me mm-hmm. and was, like, trying to kind of just bring me closer to her son. Mm-hmm. So it was just really beautiful how the Lord worked with me through all that. So
0: talk more detail about, um, you know, it took time and, and develop and, and intellectual and the mm-hmm. personal, but what, what does Mary mean to you now today?
1: Well, I mean, she's, um, yeah, that's a hard one to answer, actually. Um, I still pray a daily rosary, so okay. I, I still do that, and I usually on my, my commutes to work and to and from work. Um, so for me, it, it is this level of commitment, because I think there is a level of, like, even if you're not feeling like it, even if you're you know you think you're too busy or whatever, you right. still have to just make that commitment to pray. Um, but I still just, I don't know, like um, the way Dr. Maravalli, um would explain it was like, you know, Mary, we like in my head as a teenager, I was thinking <coughs> that she was an extra step, you know, like mm. to go to Mary to get to Jesus. It seems a little longer, mm. but really it's actually shorter because when we go through Mary to Jesus, she takes us even more quickly to her son. So mm. it's like it defies logic. It doesn't make sense, mm. but that is how it works. Um, so to always have her being, you know, this part of my life, I think that's, that's, you know, through the daily rosary through, you know, even just that one act, I think that helps to guide the rest of my prayer. So,
0: Mm. um, when you were a teenager, um, did you go to public school or Catholic school?
1: Uh, so Catholic school through eighth grade and then public school after that. Yeah. For high school.
0: Talk about that switch. Um, in (laughs) terms of, I mean, obviously that in terms of the, um, courses, you weren't taking theology courses mm-hmm. in public school, but just more so the, the cultural shift. Did you pick up on any shifts immediately or looking back on it now, do you recognize uh, it's not just a question of curricular differences, but there's something fundamentally different between the two types of schools?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, for me, I was very blessed because the, the friends that I made in my Catholic school, my grade school going up through eighth grade, um, they just tended to, they were just a really great group of friends. So like I, I kept that friend group into high school. So thankfully, like, I think I was protected from a lot of the other things that I could have seen and witnessed in that, in the public high school, because I already had this great group of people who weren't going to drink. They weren't going to smoke, mm-hmm. you know, um, for the most part, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe in the, until senior year anyway, anyway. <laughs> um, But so, I I don't know, having that group really helped me. But I I did, I just, I think I was opened up to this whole new, um, just a whole new level of just all the different people that there are in the world. And I remember, in particular, there was one moment where I was encountering this very... um, uh, proactive, very solid um, Protestant, um, <laughs> you know, fellow classmate of mine. And I think I remember saying like, oh, well, Catholics, we're not as familiar with the Bible. And I'm looking back, I'm like, why did I say that? Like, mm. that's not what you're supposed to say. Right. Like, we know the Bible, like, well, come on, get, get it together, you know?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> so you hinted at actually kind of one question I mm-hmm. always like to ask about the teenage years, you know, you said the senior year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, either among your friends or even you had, I don't know if crisis is too big a, of a word, but oftentimes those teenage years, you are starting to think by, um, about what it is that you truly believe as opposed to what your parents handed on to you. Is it the same thing? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Did you go through some sort of personal existential crisis in those teenage years about uh, Mary or Jesus or the church?
1: Well, Mary was as I said it was a struggle. But I think for me in the church and for Jesus, um I never really did have a struggle. Like um I had my kind of first encounter with Christ as um a rising freshman um mm-hmm. so the summer after my 8th grade year I went to a Steubenville um, youth conference and just um had this real encounter of, of I knew that Jesus was real I knew he wanted to speak to me mm-hmm. I knew like like so from that moment I was just connected mm-hmm. and um whatever um crisis or you know um rebelliousness that might have happened I mean there were moments and I think probably the hardest year was my 10th grade year which was my our confirmation year mm-hmm. um, because my parents decided to teach the the confirmation class and again for me it was always going back to this whole the tension between like I want to be cool I want to be liked by my <laughs> friends and yet my parents are this you know they're they're teaching our, our confirmation class and they're teaching Humana vitae no one knows what Humana vitae <laughs> is like who teaches that to 10th graders you know <laughs> but that's great I mean, it was great and actually looking back yeah. I think my classmates Really got a lot out of the class, but mm-hmm. I think I was still so just like more I don't fun. know, just yeah, like more yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get over the whole like social piece of that's it all, funny. you know. So I think that's the piece that I've struggled with. So, yeah.
0: no, that's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, maybe not specifically humanity, but just in general, the <laughs> idea of of giving them. You know, Bishop Barron talks about at that age he he was reading Thomas Aquinas and he mm-hmm. didn't necessarily understand all of it, but right. but it planted a seed. So. Um. Yeah. We. You know. Um. I think there needs to be some more intellectual, some meaty formation, and, and even teenagers can handle it, even if mm-hmm. they don't fully understand it.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: You said you went to Franciscan. Mm-hmm. Um.
1: Yeah.
0: After that, um, um, conference was it were you knew immediately that's the school you wanted or were you thinking (laughs) about a variety of different schools? Actually,
1: no, I think I spent my whole high school career saying I'm not going to go to Franciscan. Oh really? Yeah. I actually, I even went to this conference in Lincoln, Nebraska Mm -hmm. where father Michael Scanlon was the speaker. Mm -hmm. And afterwards um, he called up any alumni Mm -hmm. and I was with two of my friends who also went to the conference with me and they're like, let's go. We're going to say we're future students. And so the three of us, we went up and got our picture taken with father Michael and like all these alumni and, uh, uh, I was the only one who ended up going to Franciscan. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. that's funny. Even though I, I always said I, I never wanted to. Yeah. I also said I, I never wanted to just take my masters and I ended up doing that too. So that's God funny. God likes to laugh at me like that sometimes, I think. You
0: got the masters from Franciscan? Uh
1: from Notre Dame. Okay. Yeah. Yep.
0: I he Father Scanlon wrote quite a bit and I I don't think he has, I could be wrong, but I'd always sort of wanted him to write something about, you know, of course, from what I understand, in the 70s, it it had its problems and almost went bankrupt. Mm -hmm. And then um, it really started taking its Catholic identity Mm -hmm. seriously, which is always a chicken and the egg problem, right? How do you get students um, to come to your campus uh if you don't already have a catholic identity but if you insist on a catholic identity how do you then get the student so yeah uh, i i would have wanted him to have written something to say well this is how you do it because mm-hmm. of course a lot of catholic universities and i've been a part of some of them they don't they don't yeah. take it seriously yep. and they're floundering so yeah so you um went on to francis franciscan um you know fellow fellow catholic university from here from the university saint thomas uh, t- talk about those college years I'm, I'm guessing you had a different experience than um certainly the yes. people you're ministering <laughs> to now um uh, alternative um spring break type projects did you go um
1: those? i did one yeah um which i wish i would have done more yeah um yeah, I did go to New York City one um, spring break mm-hmm. with, the, with the campus. And that was a beautiful, wonderful experience. Um, we got to serve every day with, with the noon ministry and just the homeless, um, mm-hmm. some cancer patient um, ministries, different things. Like that was a really powerful week, yeah. Um, but I think overall, yeah, the Steubenville environment and the Steubenville experience, um, I, I like to call it the bubble. As <laughs> mm-hmm. it is, it's, it's a bubble. Sure. It's its not what real world is like at oh, all. Right. <laughs> The way I look at it, too, is that I I ended up at Franciscan. I chose that because I realized that I was still in formation. Like, Mm. it really was a safe place to be formed and continue to grow up. Um, But I think there are a lot of fellow alumni, I think, who struggle with the transition from the bubble back into real life. Um, And I do think that it is really, really important. Um, cause I think if you're going to be trained and formed, it has to be for a purpose. It has right, to be for, right. for bringing, being able to, to communicate with the rest of the world mm-hmm. and not just keep that bubble with you wherever you go, you know, which I, I have seen a lot of alumni who, who tend to act that way, you yeah. know, who are just like, I'm only going to talk to the Catholics. I'm only going to interact with them. You know, it's like, no, we have to be able, able to engage the world a little right. bit. Right. Yeah. Why
0: do you think you didn't have a problem with the bubble or transitioning out of the bubble? Whereas others did have that problem.
1: Yeah. I don't even know. Um, maybe is <laughs> it's this whole social cues thing that I've struggled with since my teenage years mm-hmm. apparently because I think um, when I my first job after college so I, I majored in English um, English writing as a mm-hmm. an undergrad I, I minored in theology because I was at Franciscan you had to do that <laughs> <laughs> and again I never wanted to be into ministry either right. um, but so my first job was at a Catholic newspaper in Arlington oh. Virginia okay. and it was awesome it was a great first job and I met two of my really good girlfriends there um, and I I think, I don't know, just hanging out with them. And again, that tension of like, I want to be cool. I want to fit in. Mm-hmm. And I remember at one point they, they commented me, like they said, you're the only normal Franciscan person we've ever met. You know? <laughs> so maybe, I don't know, maybe that social right. anxiety ended up being a good thing right. yeah. <laughs> and helped me find that middle ground, I guess.
0: <laughs> you said you didn't want to get into ministry, but here you are. Here I am. How did, how did, how did that <laughs> happen?
1: Yeah. Well, God's funny, you know. (laughs) Well, yeah. So I started at the Herald at the the Catholic newspaper. That was my first job. Mm -hmm. But um, I was I had moved to Virginia. So um, a lot of my extended family had lived there and just ended up liking the area. And after graduation, just felt the Lord calling me to that area. Um, So um, I moved to Virginia, didn't really know anyone. So I was trying to get connected, trying to see where I can meet new people, you know. And I ended up, there was a Youth 2000 retreat um, that they were holding. And um, I just said, hey, I play piano. Can I, you know, do you guys need help? And they were like, sure, yeah, we'd love to have you. So I I offered to play piano at this retreat and ended Mm -hmm. up meeting this uh, youth minister, um, Bill Gavin. And he got me eventually that next fall, he got me looped into their youth ministry program. At first, I started just doing the masses. So I was Mm -hmm. just playing piano for their youth masses once a week. And every week, everyone would disappear after Mass, and they'd go across the parish hall, and I finally had to ask the question, what do you all do over there at the parish hall? And, of course, they were doing Life Teen, and mm-hmm. they were doing all the games and the snacks and the, you know, just all the fun stuff.
0: But not humanity.
1: no. <laughs> no. We might have gotten to that eventually, but yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I started just, I just, you know, got it more and more involved with that world. And just the more I got involved, the more the Lord just kept calling me deeper and deeper, deeper. And just realizing that so many of the gifts and like, I don't know, when we talk about gifts, we often think like, Oh, I play piano or I can speak or I can sing, you know? But for me, the gift was this awesome childhood of becoming mm. being raised in this Catholic right. family. And part of that gift was, you know, learning, that I can share that experience with these young people. You know, I can share this love of the faith and this, um, you know, I don't know, like like so much of like just my upbringing, I was able to bring to the table and use in this ministry. So I think that was what kind of kept me going and kept Mm -hmm. me just realizing like, this is really where the Lord wants to use my gifts. So, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Let's, let's shift our conversation now to, um, you're, you're working in the, the archdiocese and specifically focusing on young adult and campus ministry. Mm Um, How would you characterize what are the central problems facing young adults today, young adult Catholics today? I mean, we live in this sort of postmodern culture and we can certainly point our finger at, you know, Hollywood. And that's there's certainly true, but there's more to it than that. Mm -hmm. Um, What insights do you have about what are the problems that they're really struggling with today?
1: Yeah. I think one of the big things is that they don't know how to be in relationship. Mm. They don't know how to be in relationship with another person. I think, you know, the digital age, they they have relationships on their phone or through a screen. You know, they they get their likes, they get, you know, on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, they're constantly texting, they're constantly just connected to their phones. Mm-hmm. And then when you get them in to actually encounter another human in person, they, it's almost like they don't know what to do. They don't know how to connect. They don't know how to make a friend. They don't know, you know. So I think that's a struggle, especially since, you know, I think the church has been saying for a while now that really the faith is an encounter with a person of Jesus. Right. You know, so if you don't know how to have a relationship with a human person, mm. it's even harder to figure out how do I be have a relationship with this person? person who is not physical or at least not, not like a, you know, actual being in front of me mm-hmm. is, you know, physical in this loaf of bread you know, and it's in this, uh, in the veil of the, of the Eucharist, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, uh, I think a huge piece of what the young adults struggle with. Um, just that they miss that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, I don't know, um, I was reflecting too. I think that the way we've been talking about vocation, I mm. think as a church has I don't think young adults would say this, but I think it's it's um something they struggle with, especially since i you know i'm I'm still single um there are a lot of young adults who are still single and single later into their thirties you yeah. know um and I think the way our church approaches vocation in that it's only marriage, religious life, you know these permanent states of vocation right. that it limits us to like like they don't see that they can live vocationally every single day. They don't they don't see their lives as like, oh, every single day I should be going to God and saying, what is your will for me today? Mm-hmm. Or even the fact that like after they get married, they feel like, oh, I'm done now. You know, mm-hmm. like I I found my vocation. Check, you know? Right. <laughs> Cuz that's not how God wants us to live either, you know. Yeah. So I think there's this level of we don't quite understand how like what it means to truly live every day, you know, asking God for his will and asking and trying to live each day vocationally. Yeah. I'd
0: like to pursue this a bit more. Um, this, I'm sure, you know, in the past 10, 15 years, there's been some books written. There's a sort of, I would say a movement, I guess, of, of thinking about, um, being single as a, as a permanent vocation. I have a friend of mine, I just, uh, he's a professor at Hope College in, um, Michigan And, uh, you know, I'm on his email list and he he started the St. Benedict Institute and they're they're paired with a a Protestant university on this particular event. Uh, And it's talking about this, it's a panel event and and inviting all these people, uh, including this woman who published a book recently from Oxford University Press on this idea of sort of a single life as a permanent vocation. And I'm a single individual as well. um, However... I have a real problem with this. I'd, I'd mm. like to hear your opinion. Um, you know, I think that God has given us our, you know, given, uh, let me put it this way. We are a gift given by God. Um, but we are a gift given by God, not to and for ourselves, but to be given away, mm-hmm. uh, either through fully given away, either through marriage to your spouse and to your family or, you know to the to the religious life in some way or the priesthood if you're if if you're a, if you're a man and that certainly as individuals and as single people we can give ourselves away to our colleagues and our friends and our family but not in a full way um the way that those other permanent vocations are so i personally i'm still thinking through this and i'm still sort of open to the con- to the idea but i'm deeply suspicious of this idea of mm-hmm. of singlehood as a, because I think it's, um, again, you can't fully give yourself away if you're single. And I think that's, um, I mean, it's not sinful, Mm -hmm. but I think it is, a um, um, a misunderstanding of, of who we are as a, as a, as a gift. Right. What what do you
1: think about that? Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) Mm, Hopefully I can remember them all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, first of all, I think, um, there's a level of like God is enough. Like God is enough for me as a single person, Mm -hmm. you know, so as I'm, as I've struggled through these single years, I've had to come back again and again to this realization that no matter what happens, no matter, you know, um, what my current state of life is, like God is enough, that Jesus is enough for me. Mm -hmm. I, if, you know, if, if I'm, he's calling me to this state of life is for a purpose and for this time, that's great. Um I think there's also this level of like you're saying like um it should not be a permanent single state mm-hmm. I don't think. Um so um for myself for so many others I think one of the reasons that we're we're seeing so many people that are remaining single so long is yeah. that is it is the culture, you know, mm-hmm. we live in this culture where there aren't very many you know, good faithful Catholics, good faithful Christians right. who would make a good spouse, you know. And for yeah. me myself, I've decided that I'd rather be single than be in the wrong relationship with somebody. Sure, that's true. Um, so there's this level of, you know, like the world is a broken world, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like, um, and I've, I've discerned, like I've, I've been open to that call of religious life. I've, I've, I've pursued that in some ways in my heart. And every time I have, the Lord has just said, you know, with the response of marriage. So I'm just like, okay, if he's said that, then he's going to have to come through and provide that at some point. (laughs) Um, so all I can do is keep following him day by day. But I think there's also this level that, um, I think we have to keep seeking as well. Mm. You know, we can't just get comfortable. And I think I struggle with this too. Cause I think, um, yeah, I just uh, bought a house and so mm. I have some roommates now, sure. which I think for me has been hugely helpful for my own personal development, you know, cause when you're living by yourself, it's real easy to yeah, like be like, Oh, well I'm all my answers are always right. You know, <laughs> I just have the best ideas all the time. Right. You know, right. I am the best at cleaning the dishes, you know, <laughs> or even the little things, you know, um, but living with others mm-hmm. can help you realize like, oh, wait, maybe I don't always have the right answer or always, right. maybe I'm not always the best at, you know, these little household chores or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think getting us ourselves out of that um, comfort zone is mm-hmm. very, very important. And whether it's um, seeking new friendships, whether it's seeking, you know, trying to get yourself out there on dates, which I, it's, it's a hard thing to do, you right. know, especially, I mean, there's so many online things, but had some not some great experiences with all that sometimes you know but to whatever in whatever extent whatever degree that you're able to like I think it is on us to keep seeking that you know like so if if I do feel called to marriage like Mm -hmm. I can't just be content I can't just stop Mm -hmm. you know no matter how old I get you know I have to keep seeking I have to keep looking I have to you know and I think there is a level of so many people just they get to this point and they just want to stop you know Mm -hmm and it is, it's easier. It's, you know, you, uh, sometimes it's, it feels like that might be where God is, you know, but I think, you know, the Lord always wants to call us further and deeper. Mm -hmm. And I think having more people into our lives, yeah, that we're loving, that we're serving in whatever capacity, like that's going to help to broaden that and get us to the, where we're supposed to be.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to stick with this idea of the challenges that young adults are having. I really liked your idea of talking about the, if you don't understand how to relate to people, mm-hmm. then you can't relate to, and, and I think it was uh, Ratzinger and Benedict XVI who really put it succinctly and well, this idea of it's, Christianity is not a philosophical society, it's mm-hmm. an encounter with the person of Jesus. Right. What are some of the other um, challenges to young adults uh, in, in particular in their, their, form, their Catholic formation?
1: Well, I think there's also this level, and it goes back to that idea of comfort. You know, I think they come to this point where they're looking for community, and so they come to the church, they come to an activity, they come, um, and I think there's a temptation that once they find a few friends, that then they stop. Mm -hmm. And I think um, within the young adult ministry world, um, there's also this idea, well, not idea, but there's um, kind of a trend that, like the young adult ministry in parishes, it can help Excuse me. They're not like pushing people on to the next level. They're not pushing people into the next. Like like it, you have your little social group and that's step one. But that mm-hmm. social group really should point you to going mm-hmm. deeper in your faith together. Yeah. You're, you know, becoming, you know, um, I think there's a, the, the steps of evangelization, that pre evangelization, that evangelization right. into missionary discipleship and i think there's a level of the ministry that i'm seeing in our diocese is not pushing people into those next levels like they're just they're taking people as they are and they're keeping their faith in their that one little bubble or that one mm. little aspect of but they're not pushing them on to something deeper to something more to even to the outreach part you know where we're supposed to go and, and you know make make other disciples mm-hmm. um, like we haven't quite gotten to that point yet so
0: yeah and reminds me of, of uh, so I listen to a variety of podcasts and obviously I think podcasts are great but <laughs> uh, Jewish podcasts and Catholic podcasts and, and they always have sort of write in or call in from list, listeners but but um, and they say things like oh you're this such and such a podcast is my Jewish community or it's my mm-hmm. Catholic community and I always cringe when I hear that I'm like podcasts are great and Mm -hmm. you know especially if you know a lot of parishes there they'll put up their weekly sermons and you know if you're traveling that's great but podcasts themselves can't be community they have to point to something larger Mm -hmm. something incarnational right I think it gets back to your first point about you know if we're not having incarnate relationships with people um, how can we fully understand this incarnational religion um, so that's the a couple of struggles for young adult Catholics. Now let's talk about the ministry, uh, either your personal ministry or the ministry of the archdiocese. What are the the ways that um, uh, uh, the the ministry of the archdiocese is is reaching out and and um, dealing with these young adults with their the struggles that they're having? And then uh, I guess we'll come to the question later about. Um, the strengths and weaknesses and problems of that. So mm-hmm. so how 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 does the archdiocese uh, reach out to these people?
1: Right. Well, um I would be remiss if I didn't mention Christus Vivit. <laughs> Please. <laughs> so yeah, so that document and the recent synod on youth and young people and vocational discernment mm-hmm. I think has been a real fruit for the ministry and I think um our office in particular is trying to just be able to utilize that to its fullest.
0: Tell our audience what Christus Vivit yes. is. Yes, so Christus
1: Vivit is the uh apostolic exhortation by Pope Francis. Um, which was the kind of conclusion of the synod to um for youth and young people and vocational discernment. The synod process has been since 2017 kind of this process of listening and um the bishops have been meeting to kind of discuss the different uh, um issues facing youth and young adults. Um and so this document which was um promulgated on March 25th this um Current year. Yeah. 2019. What year is it? Yeah. (laughs) 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 Um, Which of course is the Feast of the Annunciation. So I think for me, there's a very strong, again, going back to vocation, this very strong push back into the vocational discussion, Mm -hmm. you know, about how, how do we change how we're talking about vocation? so that everyone is on board. Mm-hmm. And going back to that universal call to holiness, going back to our baptismal call and all that. Um, there's a couple other different um, levels or just for different themes throughout the document. Um, one is welcome and encounter. Mm-hmm. So how do we welcome people? How do we actually encounter a person and really be able to listen to their story um, also with accompaniment? So those two mm-hmm. kind of go together. Um, and of course, Pope Francis has been big on accompaniment throughout his whole papacy. Um, but this idea that we need a church that's going to walk with young people, not sure. just be the, like, I'm just, I'm not just going to come and like talk at you for an hour and then say goodbye. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be a church that's going to actually sit down in a coffee shop with you and like hear your story and yeah. listen and, and be able to just meet you where you're at. Um, the, the story for the, the document in the synod is, has been the story of the Emmaus journey where Jesus comes and the, depo- the disciples are walking the wrong way. They're walking right. away from Jerusalem. And Jesus meets them on the road and he just asks them, tell me what you're talking about. And then he listens. You know, I think that's been a key part, too, that the church needs to listen to these young people and have that ear toward what are they saying? What are they here? What are they, you know, what are they experiencing instead of just having this like pre-made like, oh, this is what you need. Here you go. You know, um, so I think it, there's a, a level of, um, you have to be flexible too in this ministry to be mm-hmm. able to take in and listen to the needs of young people and then be able to just adjust whatever you're doing to go forward with that. Um, and I think there was another point. I can't remember it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have these like four points we've been talking sure. to the different um, deaneries about. So
0: <laughs> so Kristen yeah. Vivit um, obviously influenced you and the mm-hmm. other people in your office. Do you find young adults sort of individual, I mean... As a theology nerd, I read encyclicals and apostolic constitutions, but most people don't right. do that. So, <laughs> do you find that outside of you know the diocese or archdiocese settings that that document? or Pope Francis in general has thought has gone to the, to young adults. No, it has not.
1: No, but that's what we're trying to do. Like we're trying to make sure, and we're just trying to change the way we're talking about the ministry Mm -hmm. to incorporate these, this language of young, this language of accompaniment, this Mm -hmm. language of encounter. Um, How do we just change the way we're talking about things and how are we intentional about the way we're talking about these things to kind of shift the culture. And I think the whole idea of accompaniment in particular um, Cause even um, there's this level of formal accompaniment where you have like, like we're, we're encouraging young adults to pursue spiritual direction mm-hmm. to get a mentor Mentor relationships, even the professional world, I think, are becoming more of a thing. Right. Um, so it help to help them to realize the the value in that. But I think also I would like to see more even just a, a culture of informal accompaniment. Mm. Like, how can we encourage all of our young adults? Because like when you look at the numbers, like I've been um, helping with the young adult group at St. Vincent de Paul Parish. And um, we've got about, you know, 30 to 40 young adults who come regularly. Um if I was to try and accompany 30 and 40 young adults, like that's impossible. You know, like I just couldn't do that many. Um, I couldn't do it on my own. It's just, it's a, it's a commitment of time and of energy, you know? Um, so what I need to be doing is I need to be encouraging all the young adults to be accompanying each other, like to be listening to each other's stories, to be able to be vulnerable with each other and to somehow give them the tools and the time and the opportunity and almost like just kind of, Almost handhold them through that mm-hmm. process, you know, because I think that is a lot of. That sounds bad, maybe <laughs> with young adult ministry, but mm-hmm. there is a level of like, okay, here we're, you know, let's let's go along, come right. along. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know where we're going yet, but I do, and so just keep coming, you know. Well, this is interesting
0: because <laughs> this follows on your conversation about listening and mm-hmm. what and hearing what they want and not giving them. So how do you walk that balance between saying? we want to listen to you and hear your struggles but at the same time you know we've been doing this for a while we know right. what we know what we're doing and we know what you need you may not know it but right. we do how do you walk that balance
1: well, for us, I think um, we do a lot of collaborative ministry, which I think that helps. So, like, um, we have our Cafe Catholica Light series that we're hosting um, throughout the year this year. And at, at each location, I'm trying to form a, a team of young adults who are helping to plan and, and put that together. So there's this level of, like, here's the plan. Like, I've already put this together. Like, this is what we're going to do. Um, here's where I want you to plug in. But then, like, after this this ends, I want this to continue. So I have already told them, like, you know, as soon as this, we have one coming up in November, November 7th. As soon as the November 7th one ends, I want to pull that group together again and be able to just fully listen. Say like, what did you like? What did you not like? I think it's also, I think it's a meeting tactic. You can't just talk about, um, you know, you can't have a broad question. Like you can't get a group of young adults together and just say, okay guys, what do you want to do for young adult ministry? (laughs) Because then the, you know, you'll hear crickets. Um, So to be able to give someone an experience and then from that experience, be able to take in mm. and not to be, take it personally. So, I mean, we might have this cafe no- light in November and this team might just say, I hated this. I hated that. I hated, you know, they might just be all negative and I, ha- I have to take that in and not take it personally, sure. but also be able to take it in and say, okay, where can we move forward from this? Like I'm hearing you this, how can I take that and make it something positive going forward? Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think when you when you're able to do that, when you're able to just really, you know, have this give and take back and forth throughout whatever it's a, if it's an event or a ministry or whatever you're doing, I think the young adults will sense that and they start to appreciate mm-hmm. like just that they can sense when you're listening versus when you're just mandating all the time, mm-hmm. you know. So I guess it's it's a fine line to walk. <laughs>
0: looking to the future I mean you, you hear the doom and gloom numbers about um, young people in particular leaving the church yeah. and and uh, um, there's just a study came out a few years ago a, a book published by um, I think it was Oxford University Press talking about you know a lot of things don't look Good. Mm-hmm. We're not heading in the right direction. And there, you know, a lot of questions about why is that and the influence of the culture and the sex abuse scandal and all kinds of things. As you look to the future to, to young adults and specifically young adult Catholic Americans, uh, where do, where's your hope and where are your, where are your concerns?
1: Well, my hope is in the Eucharist. <laughs> it has to be, yeah. That has to be the source and summit of everything. Um, and really, I don't know. Um, I've I've heard the numbers, I've seen all the statistics, you know. Um, I love the quote from, uh, Pope John the 23rd, um, St. Saint now? Saint John the 23rd mm-hmm. yep. now. Yeah. <laughs> who said, it's your church, Lord, I'm going to bed right. <laughs> where it's like, um, I'm going to keep doing what I need to do. I'm going right. to keep following. I'm going to keep trying to, you know, trying to get young adults that are connected to the church. I want to, I want to work with the reality of who we have. You know, I, 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 I just don't get worried mm-hmm. about the people who, we don't have because I'm, I want to worry with the people who we do. Like we have to take care of who we have. Sure, We got to take care of that, pe- that group first. And if we can really take care of that group and really get them to that point of missionary discipleship, then, you know, eventually in the end they should be, it should start to, you know, p- if people are really getting on board with this missionary discipleship, they should be able to go out and be able to bring more people in. Because mm-hmm. I, again, looking at numbers, I'm not going to reach all the people that are out there, you know? Sure. Um, I need to get all these other people involved to get them, you know, get them really plugged in with their vocational mission as well to go out and be able to bring the people in their circles back to the faith. So I think for me, like, yeah, like yes, there there's there's numbers, yes, there's statistics that are, are worrisome, but I think for me, my my goal is to stay faithful to what God has called me to, and that is right now caring for the young adults in the Archdiocese of Galveston-Houston. I'm going to try and do that to the best of my ability and trying to get them to the point where they're going to care for other young adults in their circles. And just hopefully the Lord will, if, if he blesses the effort. It will continue to grow, continue to, to have blessings. So that's all I can do. I can't, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to fix the whole church. Yeah. <laughs> and I've I've kind of become okay with that. <laughs> I think the
0: older I get, you know, I certainly have grand ambitions. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, in my mind, it just comes down to, you know, I guess when I look back on my life, I think the mo- one of the most important questions simply is, okay, maybe I didn't achieve all the... Um, goals that I set out but did I hand this on to the next generation yeah. and if if the answer is yes then I think that might that that might be enough right. um so it'll, and then they hand it on to the next
1: generation right and after because I most of my career has been mostly focused on youth ministry this sure. is the only first time I've really gotten to dive into young adults which has been a blessing you mm-hmm. know it's really been beautiful but I think in youth ministry especially we just talk about like how we're planting seeds. And like only the Lord can cause the growth. I think right. that's in Corinthians, maybe. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> it's in one of those St. Paul letters. Um, You know, like, like if all I can do is plant one seed and one soul, then right. that is beautiful. That has merit. You know, it's not about like, you know, planting all the seeds and all the souls, you know. <laughs> it's like how can I be faithful to that call to just continue to plant the seeds with the people I encounter and that the Lord puts in my life, you know, and let him continue to make the growth happen.
0: Right. Uh, if somebody listening is interested in knowing more about the programs from the Archdiocese, where mm-hmm. on social media can they find that?
1: Yeah, on social media, we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, it's at archgh.yacm. Y-A-C-M. Um, the Facebook handle is a little bit different. I think it's youngadultsarchgh, um, but you can find us. And also our website is www.archgh.org slash Y-A-C-M. And there's all the information we have. Um, We are trying to be a little bit more active on social media, have some um, creative and um, engaging posts that we're going forward. So we hope people will um, follow us and stay connected. Um, Lots of great stuff going on. We've got retreats, Um, we've got, um, like I said, the Cafe Light, which is a talk series that we're offering. Um, we have pastoral juvenile through our office, so for the Hispanic um, young adults, there's lots going on for them as well, and also the campus ministry is in our office, so lots of good stuff going on at our, our local campuses. Um, so yeah, so so yeah, it's it's a tough uh, ministry, it's a tough. There's no good answers I know, but sure. we're, we're there's a lot of good people doing a lot of good stuff here. So
0: excellent, well, yeah. Angie. Thank you very much for joining me, and good luck. Uh, in, uh